Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods. I am your host and storyteller. And whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Day 147. Tuesday, October 9th, 2001. Cancer adds to the story of my individual life. It adds to my unique character and sense of humor. John, in my eyes, has never seemed more like a father, and Sissy has never seemed untrapped and free from time and stress. I know that she's stressed right now. I can see it hiding beneath her smile, but her soul and spirit have never seemed so bright to me before. Me, John, and Sissy are one now. This has made us a family, a support center, and a library of information on the liver. Hee <laughs> hee. Cancer blessed me with these wonderful people and healers. It hasn't cursed me with the end of a life. Adrian's journal entry dated May 28, 2001. Adrian has been crying in her sleep. Her face is wet, yet she appears to be smiling. With her legs turned out, knees bent, and the soles of her feet together, she is in what yogis and dancers call the butterfly pose. My mind flashes to when a nurse put Adrian's legs in that same position when she was a few minutes old. Is this what people mean by things coming full circle? From birth to no... No, no. Adrian does not attempt to speak. She does not lash out with her body. I do not need to rock her today, and I do not have to beg her to take her medicine. Every time I give her the methadone, she swallows it. Her vital signs reflect her calm demeanor. Before dawn, Adrian's fever spikes to 103.3 degrees, and her heart rate reaches 152 beats per minute. Then, as the sun rises, her temperature drops. 102.7 at 12 p.m., 102.2 at 1 p.m., until it is 101.4 at 2.40 p.m. Her heart rate mirrors her fever. At 10.30 a.m., Adrian's pulse is 140 beats per minute. By mid-afternoon, it drops to 135 beats per minute. I don't know what John thinks, but I am thrilled Adrian is improving. I refuse to look beneath the surface. I ignore how Casey's eyes pop when she sees Adrian today. I close my ears when she says Adrian is no longer fighting. She has made peace with herself. I know she's right, of course. I knew it the minute I saw Adrian this morning in that position. 
looking happier and more relaxed than she has in weeks. Adrian has made a choice. She is going to die on her terms, whatever they are. More friends visit today to say goodbye to Adrian. I tell her who is coming and although she doesn't talk, I feel as though she understands because she murmurs in response. Jared and Joyce spend time alone with Adrian. Marilyn and Justin drive up from Orange County. I'm happy to see them because they haven't seen Adrian in a while. They too were included in the I'm begging you to visit Adrian email last month. Adrian's therapist Diana arrives around mid-afternoon. Even Marilyn's father, Donald, who once tried to convince Adrian Santa Claus did exist, he failed, drops by to spend time with his niece. Anya and Alex are our constant support system as they are with us most of the day and even coordinate the visitations so John and I can speak to Casey. When I ask again about the fever, I can't let it go. She explains it is a result of both dehydration and the UTI. She assures me the methadone is working, and Adrian is not bothered by her temperature or in pain. Casey may, however, test Adrian's kidneys to assess her fluid intake. Then she says she needs to teach John and me some new things, since Adrian is in a different state. Remember the five senses and the part of the body that coordinates with each one, says Casey, as she ticks off eyes, ears, nose, mouth, and hands. She tells us we will have to put lotion on Adrian's body every day to prevent her skin from drying out. Then we should check her ears daily and clean them with Q-tips if necessary. Inspect her nose to ensure there is no blockage. However, the most important things are her eyes and mouth. Because Adrian is not blinking enough, we will have to put drops in her eyes every four to six hours so they won't dry out. We also have to swab a special ointment on her teeth every four to six hours to keep them clean. Even as I write these things down, I think how much Adrian hated brushing her teeth until I bought her that silly cheap electric toothbrush. I wonder where it is now, probably in a box somewhere. Anything we didn't need right away, I haven't unpacked. We moved into this house nine days ago and we have spent five nights here. We have gone from three compressed oxygen tanks in our living room to one liquid oxygen tank in our garage. Adrian was on chemo when we moved here. Now she is on hospice and expected to live weeks. Maybe. Casey repeats, if you forget everything else, remember eyes, mouth, and meds. I write down in all caps, eyes, mouth, and meds in our spiral notebook. Donald rushes out of Adrian's bedroom and gestures with his arms as he tries to talk through his tears. She, uh, Adrian looked right at me. She opened her eyes and blinked twice. I'm supposed to get you. She wants you to know. John and I nod, and as we walk in one direction, Donald runs the other out the front door of our house. Casey, Anya, Alex, and Diana follow us into Adrian's bedroom. Casey looks at Adrian. It won't be long now, she says. Her blood pressure has dropped. To confirm her assumption, Casey takes Adrian's blood pressure, and it is 94 over 60. Her heart rate is 125 beats per minute. 
She tells me I should go ahead and give Adrian her pain medication, but we should not give her any more fluids since there is gurgling in her lungs and swelling in her legs. I watch the 0.75 milliliters of methadone slide around Adrian's mouth. However, I'm not sure if she consumes any of it. She swallows, but the action seems like a reflex. She's not in pain, I promise you, Casey says. I nod. Casey explains, when someone stops breathing in this situation, the lungs have an involuntary response as they lose oxygen. It sounds awful, but Adrian won't be hurting. I lie next to Adrian on her right side. I alternate between stroking her face and holding her hand. John sits on the other side. He holds Adrian's left hand. Anya and Alex are kneeling next to him while Diana and Casey are sitting at the foot of Adrian's bed. Little Bit keeps a vigil from her perch on the windowsill where she has been sitting for almost an hour. I know Adrian wants it this way, at home, in her bed, surrounded by the people who love her the most, with her cat watching over her. She could have hung on for months, but she would never want to be a burden on me, even if I don't see it that way. I think the most important thing, though, is for Adrian, wasting away in a room, unable to speak, to walk, or to eat, would be a loss. This way, she wins. I understand, because I would make the same choice. But lying next to her, every selfish cell of my being screams for her to stay. Please don't leave me. Please. Not yet. Then Little Bit stretches and jumps down, walking out of the room. No, animals, no. Adrian takes in a huge breath as if she is about to go underwater for a long time. Casey pats my leg. Remember, it's normal. There's no pain. Casey leaves. I don't hear the exhale. Minutes or maybe a minute go by. Adrian inhales again, only deeper this time. Diana chokes on a sob as she walks out. I wonder how Adrian orchestrated this event. Her dying. How is it people seem to be moving on cue? Between each breath, more time passes. This time, minutes pass before we hear another one. That familiar <gasps> sound. Under their umbrella of tears, Anya and Alex exit together. I keep stroking Adrian's face with my left hand, but I put my right hand on her wrist. Without warning, Adrian breathes again sooner than expected. As the <gasps> leaves her lips, John moans and runs out of Adrian's bedroom. What the hell is he doing? Where is he going? I yell, John, come back, please. I listen as Anya or Alex goes after him. I know Adrian is still with us even before I feel her pulse throbbing beneath my fingers. Hold on, just one more minute, baby. Johnny left, but he's coming back. He'll be back. Hold on, just hold on. I squeeze her hand and I feel the life in it. 
she hears me. I sense John's presence, but I don't look at him. Instead, my eyes dart back and forth from Adrian's face to her chest, and I feel her pulse. Johnny's back. I love you, baby. We're here with you. We're both here. I love you. Adrian inhales deep and long. I can almost hear the air whistling through her teeth. Then she exhales a sigh of relief. Her chest stops moving. There is no more breath. My world slips away. I grasp for it, check for a pulse. Nothing. I remove the oxygen mask. With my ear to her lips, I strain to hear a sound, a lost breath. Nothing. Adrian is gone. John and I spend time alone with Adrian until her lips turn gray. We tell Casey, who says we need to clean Adrian up. John leaves and Anya offers to help us. John closes the door behind him. Casey walks us through the whole thing. Even though Adrian weighs less than 110 pounds, the three of us have a difficult time moving her because we don't want to be rough with her body. We remove Adrian's clothes in order to give her a sponge bath. Anya and I find clean sheets when the fluids, which Casey warned us about, pour out of Adrian's body. I notice how hairless Adrian is, which shouldn't surprise me, but it does. I remember Adrian saying chemo was the cure for shaving legs. Adrian hates body hair. Hated. She can't hate anything anymore. Last year, she used my NADS natural hair removal gel to remove the hair on her arms. Funny how, when you get what you want, it's never the way you pictured it. Adrian always wanted to lose weight, too, until chemo ate her muscles. I have no ass meat, sissy. I'm going to miss her voice, her wit, her everything. Casey says Adrian can wear anything she wants to the mortuary, so I select a pair of new Victoria's Secret panties, her blue tie-dyed shirt she wore to medieval times, her new studded belt she wore to the ballet, and her favorite pair of jeans. Together, we dress Adrian. After putting on her jeans, I slide the belt through the loops as Casey and Anya maneuver Adrian's body. Then something strange happens, but none of us want to acknowledge it. I think, maybe I'm going crazy. Casey looks at me. I glance at Anya, and she turns to Casey. She must really like those jeans, she says. We laugh because we are not imagining what we see. Adrian is smiling. Her entire expression changed as soon as we finished dressing her. 
I feel good because Adrian's soul is here in this room. I don't know for how long, but she's here for now. I have to get John, I say. He has to see her. We don't have to tell John and Alex what happened because they see it for themselves. Anya and I explain, and we laugh again as we repeat Casey's comment. Diana has left, so she doesn't see Adrian smiling in her jeans. Casey goes to the drugstore to buy a disposable camera. She suggests we take pictures. We may want them one day. I don't think we will, but if we can capture Adrian's spirit on camera, that would be worth the pain of looking at the picture. Casey says we can have as much time as we want with Adrian. She explains how we need to straighten Adrian's body, including her hands and feet, before rigor mortis occurs. As a hospice nurse, she has the responsibility of removing all the hard drugs from the premises when a patient dies at home. Going through Adrian's tackle box, she takes out methadone, Marinol, Valium, Ativan, Zolota, Dilaudid, and Elevil. However, if we suffer from constipation, infection, or acid reflux, we have plenty of medicine left over to relieve those maladies. Casey assures John and me we can call her anytime we're ready and she will arrange for someone to pick up Adrian. I want to make Adrian as beautiful as possible, so I decide to give her a manicure and pedicure. She always cared about the way her nails looked, more than I ever did. I select her favorite shade, blue satin, and set to work. After cutting her nails and trimming her cuticles, I file and buff before I polish. As I sweep the final coat on their last nail, I survey my work. I think Adrian would be proud. Out of nowhere, Little Bit leaps into the bed, curls up next to Adrian's foot, and falls asleep. She knows, I think to myself, because Little Bit hasn't been in Adrian's bed since she became ill. After she scratched Adrian, Little Bit became more cautious. Now she realizes she can lie next to her owner again. Casey told us stories about other pets, especially cats, acting strange or protective around dying children. You couldn't pay me enough to be a pediatric hospice nurse. I don't know how Casey does her job. Even though we've known her less than 72 hours, she helps children die with dignity. I lean over and pet little bit. She's purring. Anya and Alex suggest we order dinner from a place they like called Moe's. John and I have never eaten there before, but it is less than three miles from our house, so Moe's will deliver. I think I order a turkey burger or maybe the shrimp pesto pizza, but I'm not sure. The four of us gather in Adrian's room with her, and we turn on her TV. I find MTV2, and unfortunately, the channel is having an all-night special on rap. Adrian's least favorite genre of music. We apologize to Adrian about the rap, but leave the TV on anyway for background noise. Judging by the way we eat our food and talk to Adrian, the atmosphere feels almost festive. I suppose we are in shock. Adrian's body looks like a life-size porcelain doll dressed up in blue, but her soul fills the room. It has grown beyond the smile now. I want to talk to her, read to her, sleep by her, and most of all, laugh with her. I don't want to send her away, but I know Anya, Alex, and John 
are waiting for me to give the okay to make that call. I don't like the idea of strangers touching Adrian. Of course, I would make up any excuse to keep her with me. One more hour, okay? Well, maybe another? I can't let her go yet. Around three o'clock in the morning, I telephone Casey and she answers the phone. What mortuary, she asks. Well, Adrian always liked Forest Lawn. If cemeteries didn't fascinate Adrian, I don't know what I would have said. Casey says not to worry. She will deal with the funeral home. After I hang up the phone, I want to call her back and tell her I changed my mind. Please don't take Adrian away. Why can't she stay with me? The energy in her room right now, what some would call her soul, emanates from her body. Without it, that vitality will vanish. I know it. God, please don't take her. 20 minutes later, the doorbell rings. Two large men stand on our front porch. I think John comes up with the idea for them to drive around the back of our house so our new neighbors won't see. Not that anyone is awake at this hour, but I want to protect Adrian's privacy too. The men drive down the alley that runs parallel to our house. From there, we open the gates to allow the van into our backyard. The plan is for the men to remove Adrian through Adam's bedroom, which is located at the back of the house, and it has a patio door. The men walk into the house, but stop when they see the hallway that leads to the front of the house where Adrian's bedroom is. They look at each other and then at Alex and John. I don't understand their hesitation until I follow their eyes, staring at our narrow, 26-inch wide, not-up-to-code hallway. The men won't fit. <laughs> Kiddo, if you had something to do with this, thank you. John and Alex offered to bring Adrian to the van. The men's faces relax, they nod, and then they wait outside. Alex and John carry Adrian on a sheet, holding each corner. They lift Adrian's body, maneuver through the hallway, walk down three stairs outside, and place her on the waiting gurney. I watch as one man places a band around Adrian's ankle. In black sharpie, he has written, Wilson, Emma. I want to correct him. We call her Adrian, but I know it will create confusion later. I touch the plastic anklet and trace the letters. It's not a toe tag like you see on crime shows. I straighten the bottom of Adrian's jeans so they appear smooth. I feel the blue satin nail polish as I brush my fingers over her toenails. How did I end up by your feet and not your face, kiddo? The nice yet portly men give me papers to sign releasing Adrian's body to Forest Lawn. With the last sweep on the end, at the end of Wilson, I'm letting Adrian go. I watch the men, whose names I've already forgotten, load Adrian into the van. I stand there as they drive away. John closes the gate. Amidst hugs and tears, Anya and Alex go home. I climb into bed and lie there. Unable to comprehend, Adrian is gone. I tell myself 
She's no longer in pain, but that fact doesn't fill the void, the emptiness I feel. God damn it, I want her back. Bring her back. How could you do that to her? How could you take away the best part of me? Karma is bullshit. I continue to vent my silent fury until the anger weighs down my eyelids. As I drift off to sleep, I wonder who is listening to me? Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Ball, the life in 147 days. There are two episodes left, and the next episode, number 39, airs tomorrow. Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for tomorrow's episode. Thank you. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>